Welcome to In the Spotlight, a regular podcast from the Witham, Barnard Castle's Community Arts Centre. Hello, Stuart Laundy here, welcoming you along to another episode of In the Spotlight. It's the podcast from the Witham, Barnard Castle's Community Arts Centre here in good old County Durham. Uh, a good little show coming up for you this week. Special guest is actor Jonathan Goodwin. He'll be talking all things Sherlock Holmes, Victorian and Edwardian fiction and much more besides. A little bit later on, uh, my colleague Jane Woodward will be along to look at what's coming up. And to kick off with, it's a little bit of music from a trio called Salt House. Uh, details to follow about their gig, which has just gone on sale. Uh, this is a track from their most recent album. It was released earlier this year. It's called Riverwoods. The track's called Headwater. Thank you. 
Scottish folk trio Salt House there and a track called Headwater from their most recent album Riverwoods. They're coming to perform a gig at the Witham in March next year. Full details a bit later on in the show. Hi, this is Tabby from The Cafe and you're listening to In The Spotlight, The Witham's podcast. So to this week's special guest, who is actor Jonathan Goodwin. He'll be bringing the iconic detective Sherlock Holmes to life when he comes to the Witham on the 7th of November for a show called Sherlock Holmes Strikes Back. I caught up with Jonathan a couple of days ago to find out a bit more. So um, we're turning to the theatre for this week's uh, guest on In the Spotlight, and I'm delighted to say that actor, scriptwriter, artistic director, and probably a myriad of other titles as well, Jonathan Goodwin uh, joins us. Hello, Jonathan, how are you doing? Hello, I'm grand. Thank you. Lovely to meet you, sir. Jonathan joins us because on Tuesday, November the 7th, he's bringing his show Sherlock Holmes Strikes Back to the Witham. And uh, obviously, uh, for fans of Sherlock Holmes, it's an absolute must. But um, before we get to the actual uh, show itself, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, the, the theatre company or the theatre project that you run called Don't Go Into the Cellar, which specialises oh, yeah. specialises in um, in Victorian and Edwardian uh, era uh, shows that you've done. So how, how did how did how did all this come about? How did you get into that sort of era yeah. of literature? I've always loved that era. I mean, even from infancy. I know people say, "Oh, surely you couldn't have been reading uh, Conan Doyle when you were five, But that was the first. I mean, certainly not reading and looking at the pictures because I loved it all. Dracula, yeah. Conan Doyle. Um, when I was a kid. They'd used to show, see, late 70s on the BBC, um, they'd used to repeat black and white horror films quite a bit, Boris Karloff and Ella Lugosi and all that kind of thing. So I'd have been at a very young and impressionable age. I was watching them and I loved it. And from there, um, it was a short step to discovering, oh, yeah, these are based on books. Who wrote the books? Bram Stoker, very good. Conan Doyle, M.R. James, all of those characters. And really... From that age all the way through to now, I've just loved it, been fascinated by it. And then 14 years ago, um, I happened to be a jobbing actor, turning up for auditions because, you know, it's, it's what I do. I, I think the full-time aspect of being an actor quite often is going to auditions and never mind doing a bit of work, which may or may not come along. And I thought, well, all of these things I'm going for, advertisements for double glazing and whatever, it's not really... My, my cup of tea. I mean, it's it's not what I think, wow, this is exciting, isn't it? And what I wanted to see for myself didn't exist, which is stage plays based upon Victorian stories of so all of the great characters uh, from all the, the different aspects of popular fiction. So detective, horror, mystery, ghost stories as well, M.R. James. And so in a moment of madness, um, and I think because I didn't know any better, I'd decided when I was performing at a show in Edinburgh, right, I'm going to come up with a company. And by the time I got back uh, home, I decided it was going to be called Don't Go Into the Cellar. And it was going to be exclusively based on Victorian and Edwardian popular fiction. And back then, of course, it was just um, Dracula. Sherlock Holmes has been there from the beginning because he's brilliant. As my favorite, one of my favorite writers is Conan Doyle. But then since then, we've we've incorporated true crime. So I know people can be quite morbid. Um, so they all have a bit of Crippin and Jack the Ripper. So we involve that. Them's torso killings. But from then on, we've also cast on that's further afield. So we have comedies in there, uh, Diary of a Nobody, Toad of Toad Hall even. Because one thing I discovered some years ago, it's, it's great 
the autumn and the winter are wonderful for the kind of work I do. But then once the nights start getting lighter, there's an awful lot of summer. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, maybe ghost stories and whatever, not terribly popular. So I thought, right, okay, what else could we do? So then Toad of Toad Hall comes along, Richard Hannay in the 39 Steps, uh, War of the Worlds, we've got the Invisible Man on the way. So all those kinds of things that when I was a kid, I was reading or, or there are my uh, list of books that I wanted to read. And, you know, if I'd have known then, somehow if I could have hopped into a time machine as I am now, go back to myself as a kid saying, well, you don't know me, but you will. And one day, this is what you're going to be doing. I have loved it. Grinning like a Cheshire cat. I was going to say, why do you think the stories of the era were so good? I mean, we, we, the filmmakers as well go back to that period to, to regularly to uh, to produce films about it. What, why are the stories so good from sort of the turn of the 20th century? For the first time, there were so many magazines, Strand Magazine, The Idler, all of these cheap periodicals and journals, because for the first time, the masses could read. And of course, because of that, popular fiction came about. And then suddenly there was a demand. We need people who can come up with this content. Uh, and serendipity, I guess, on both sides of the Atlantic, probably actually no probably about it. Certainly some of the greatest short story writers, greatest novelists, I think, happen to be there. So Mark Twain, Conan Doyle, Robert Louis Stevenson, H.G. Wells. And I think with those stories, the seeds of popular genre fiction were sown. Yeah. To the extent that 140 odd years later, as you say, we're still making adaptations of their originals. Yeah. I think they always deal with the prototypes, um, archetypes of character. You've got the detective hero, you've got the, the suave monster in Dracula. Even the historical figures back then seem to have stepped across into the world of fiction. You know, even the, the awful characters from history, Jack the Ripper and whatnot. Somehow, he has become almost as big a fictional character as Jack the Ripper, as uh, Dracula. Because I read a couple of years ago, more people believe that Dracula was real than they do that Jack the Ripper was real. It's a strange thing that the two worlds seem to have blended into each other. I think as well that... Um... That that age, the, the 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 Victorian Edwardian age, was it was a great um, a, a great era for exploration and adventure uh, as well. And I think and because you didn't obviously have TV and radio and social media and this that and the other, it was interesting. I was watching uh, the the old film of Scott of the Antarctica um, yes. the other the other day. And the, the the bit that was interesting with that from this point of view is the fact that um, from an earlier expedition, Scott had come back. And what did he do? He went on a tour, a, a lecture tour um, to talk about it. And I remember when um, when Shackleton came back, one of the things uh, that I've read about Shackleton was he made sure um, that when they all came back, having been stranded, the photographs came back. So that he could he could tell a good story when he got back. So yeah, I, I'm I'm quite, I'm quite convinced that the, the sort of the, the the age of adventure and and discovery and stuff had inspired people who who wrote back then as well. You know, yeah, people I, I re people agree. ready for uh, for a good story. I think so, and in many ways, even in the 21st century, we are still Victorians. I think that the great Victorian hangover is still with us. I mean, you mentioned all of the. the Ten years ago now, it's, it's time has gone, but the BBC Sherlock update and and the Moffat Dracula. I mean, so many of them now have become TV tropes. But even with science fiction as well, War of the Worlds, every few years there's another film adaptation. 
I think it, it does boil down to the fact that fundamentally they're just bloody good stories. Great stories, great characters. And I think in this day and age, especially where I try and avoid the news when I can because it's usually so grim, but people need a distraction now more than ever. And whether it be TV or the cinema, books, good old, you know, I'm, a, I'm an old fashioned Victorian chap at heart reading, using the imagination. That's, it's wonderful. And, you know, I think we've never needed it more than we do now. Hi, this is Stacey from The Calf, and you're listening to In The Spotlight, The Withams Podcast. So talking of a good story, um, let's talk about Sherlock Holmes Strikes Back. What's uh, what's this one about for those who might not have come across it before? This is about the, the fourth or fifth home show that I've toured. And with this one, I wanted it to include, in a way, the greatest hits, three of the greatest hits of Holmes. Most people know all about the Reichenbach Falls and how he died, but then did he die? Well, Conan Doyle really wished that he had died, um, but then Holmes refused to, to lie low forevermore. And so this story is scripted from, I think, three of the best of the original stories. It's the Redheaded League uh, from The Adventures, which is really funny. People forget Conan Doyle was a great humorous writer, but I think he's up there with Dickens. Um, the character in The Redheaded League, Jabez Wilson, is barking man oh, he's eccentric daft as a brush but it's really funny and then that goes into the the final problem where moriarty is introduced and then for the second half there's going to be my take on the empty house which is how holmes comes back from the dead eventually the publishers made conan doyle too good a financial offer it had been a fool to have turned it down to bring Holmes back and in fact he didn't want to do it. And he kept hiking up the price, thinking they're not going to say yes to this. And they did. So he said, well, all right, then I'm, I'm going to bring you back. And bearing in mind to Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes was just a bit of nonsense as he liked his historical fiction. He thought that he'd be remembered 100 years after his death for his great historical novels. Nowadays, hardly anyone has heard of them, never mind read them. But Holmes lived on. And so with this story, this show, Sherlock Holmes Strikes Back, it's a mashup of those three stories i think they present the most memorable characters certainly from the the best dozen or so of the stories moriarty is there colonel moran moriarty's henchman you got jabez wilson there's comedy in there there's tragedy but then there's adventure and hope and mystery that's just brilliant and i gotta say if, if i wasn't in it then i, I want to be watching it <laughs> and i i said it earlier i really wish that there was something like this going around when i was a kid yeah. i'd have Agged and pestered my parents. You know, I want to see this. Can I see this? You, um, you you set the shows in the time that they were written. So we're talking Victorian Edwardian time. Does that involve you lugging around an awful lot of um, set stuff with you when you when you go on tour? Oh well, funny you should mention that. Um, see, when I got married four years ago, my wife Sean really could have done with reading the small print because if she had, she would have noticed living uh, with me involves loads of set and and hats and you know it's it's just a normal day at the office when i receive in the post you know set stage beards and a deer stalker or there could be a replica victorian walking cane and so in the other room we've got loads of them stuff piled upon stuff there are skulls prop skulls and it's brilliant it's it's like a it's retaining that air of being childlike as opposed to being childish, although Shah might say, well, I think you got that the wrong way around. But, it, you know, it's just having all of this paraphernalia around. 
I like to think that we live in a place that is dripping that quality of, of um, elegant Victorian clutter. Although someone else might say, no, it's clutter. So um, it would be remiss of me not to ask before uh, before we call time on this one. I mean, my, mine's got to be Basil Rathbone. So who's your favourite Holmes when you're not playing him? Rathbone, definitely top three, possibly top two. He was the first one that I saw when I was a kid. And, and again, good old BBC Two used to repeat the Rathbone films. Tea time, six o'clock after school. I'll be watching them. I'll be, I'll be thinking, wow, this is great. Um, Peter Cushing is another one. Brilliant. Again, once I was the ripe old age of seven or eight, I'd moved on to the Hammer films. Dracula and Christopher Lee and Hound of the Baskervilles. Jeremy Brett, of course. I think those are the three, and depending upon my mood of the day, they might change places, but it's always Rathbun, Cushing and Brett. Because I think the three of them, when they're at their best, gave fascinating but different takes on one of the greatest characters written and they're also able to imbue the characterization with a degree of their own personality through Rathbun very no nonsense uh, man of action Cushing certainly very waspish Jeremy Brett mad as a barrel full of fish um, but also with that sense of humor uh, so although I never intentionally channeled any of them I, I think it's impossible you know when you're growing up watching them and like a sponge, you absorb all of these things. They're a bit like Doctor Who's, really. I think it depends on when you started watching them as to which one. Sort of Tom Baker was my Doctor Who. Yes. Well, he's wonderful. And of them all, to this day, I maintain he's the only one <laughs> that is like an alien. There is something yeah. utterly otherworldly about him. Um, even now in interviews, you just think, wow, he's, he's bigger than life. John Pertwee gets an honourable mention. Mm. I think those two, um, even though Pertwee was before my time, I just think those two are the greatest. And you are right, Sean Connery is Bond. Yeah. Wonderful. I, I was, I was, I was. I came after that. I was Roger Moore, believe it or not. Uh, Roger Moore's my James Bond. I could never, I could never get, um, I could never get away with uh, the ones that came after. I don't know why. No, um, for me, um, Diamonds Are Forever is my favourite Bond film. Although most people dismiss that as being dreadful. But it's almost as though Sean's in a Roger Moore Bond film. He's wandered into the wrong script. <laughs> but I agree with you. Anything after, even not keen on A View to a Kill, anything after Roger Moore, I just pretend yeah. hasn't happened. Yeah. In life, really, to be honest. <laughs> in life. The only, th- the only thing I got confused with when I was very young and, and uh, saw Basil Rathbone for the first time was that... Um, I couldn't understand how he went from being uh, Sherlock Holmes and then the following week he was the Sheriff of Nottingham opposite Errol Flynn in Robin Hood. And it was um... my favourite film. (laughs) Wonderful swashbuckler. (laughs) I think because there was such a quality of of the darkness about him as well. He was a wonderful villain, always getting stabbed or run through, even though he was the the greatest fencer Hollywood had. I mean, if, if they were proper sword fights... Errol Flynn would have been handed his ass on a silver trencher. So <laughs> it's her own power, but Basil always had to lose. And apparently at a Hollywood party in the late 30s, they were talking about who are we going to get to play Sherlock Holmes? We want to do the hand of the basketball. And they said, well, Basil Rathbone, of course. And before even anyone had asked him. And a critic described uh, Rathbone as being two profiles pasted together. 
oh, that's right. You think perfect. <laughs> it's one of those wonderful actors from, I think, the golden age of Hollywood. The actors and the actresses, they just look like film stars, you know. Yeah. There was something different about them. Jonathan, we could probably prattle on about this sort of stuff all night, but we'll uh, we'll call a halt there. I'll thank you very much and remind uh, listeners that Sherlock Holmes Strikes Back comes to the Witham in Barnard Castle on Tuesday, November the 7th. Tickets are available now from the box office on 01833 631107, or you can go online to www.thewitham.org.uk. Jonathan, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Hi, this is Sheila. Hi, this is Jim. And we're volunteers, and you're, you're listening, listening to In the Spotlight, the Withams podcast. If people could see the extensive research that goes into making this podcast, they'd be amazed. Isn't that right, Jane? <laughs> yes, it is, Stuart. I'm sitting here with my my scribbled notes I've hurriedly put together. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, Jane Woodwards joins us again to have a look at what's coming up at the Witham. And we're going to start, um, you'll, if you listen to the start of the podcast, you'll have heard a rather nice song by a band called Salt House. And I'll let Jane explain uh, why we're heading to the far reaches of northern Scotland uh, to play some music this week. Yes, so Salt House, it's a trio of musicians, Ewan McPherson, Jenny Sturgeon and Lauren McCall. And they are coming to the Witham on Saturday the 16th of March next year. They're described by um, UK Folk Radio as a trio of exceptional talent. And they're based between the Scottish Highlands and Shetland. And Stuart, do you know where the name Salt House comes from? I do not. Please do, do tell. Apparently it's the name of a dock in Ewan McPherson's native Liverpool. Well, there we go. I should probably have known that being a canal boater of some repute. You should. You definitely should have known that, yes. Although I've not actually been into Liverpool docks on the canal boat yet. Uh, I'll forgive you then. I'll uh. forgive you. But this is definitely one for folk, folk music fans. Yes, and we'll play out uh, with another track from Salt House when we've, uh, when we've finished chatting. So one to look forward to there for the folkies. Now, coming up in the next few days, um, we've got Bob Harris and Colin Hall. We do. Tuesday the 3rd of October, 730 they're bringing their intimate speaking tour, The Songs the Beatles Gave Away. Unfortunately, I don't know the tunes to The Songs the Beatles Gave Away, so we're not going to sing. Oh, well, that is a shame, Stuart. That is a shame. But if you want to see BBC's Bob Harris and the author music journalist Colin Hall um, talking about all of these songs, and it's based on a book that Colin Hall has written. He's obviously the um, curator of John Lennon's Childhood Home. Mendips, yep. come along on Tuesday. Absolutely. If you want to find out more, uh, we spoke to Colin oh, three or four weeks ago on the podcast, so you can have a listen on there, listen back on there and find out a bit more about it. Now, also on Tuesday, we've got action in the gallery. We have a new exhibition. Hurrah! Artist Joe Pickering. Ah, splendid, because um, Joe's doing a class, isn't she? She is. She does oil painting classes, um, and she's just about to start a, a new a new. Um, series of of workshops as well of different media styles but she's bringing her exhibition an affordable art show by joe pickering and it's called bright and bold so she does portraits animals and still life in very bright bold colors mm, very good she will be um, exhibiting in the gallery all throughout october 
and she will be painting live in the gallery on Wednesday, the 4th of October. So ah. come along and meet her. Pop along, say hello. Very yes. good indeed. Yes. And then we move on from Tuesday and Wednesday with Joe Pickering to Thursday and something far too highbrow for the likes of me. Yeah, what's your Italian like, Stuart? Oh, bueno. <laughs> Is that Italian? <laughs> Mascarpone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Tiramisu. <laughs> Tiramisu. That, that's about so as much as it goes. I did actually have to have to look up how you pronounce this opera. So it's live from the Royal Opera House, screening of Donizetti's L'Alessia d'Amore. Oh, well done. And it is sung in Italian with English subtitles. Marvellous. Yes. Starting at 7.15. So one for your opera fans there. Exactly, yes. And then we move on to Saturday and a bit of bad news to start with on Saturday. Yes, uh, Starlight and Campbell, unfortunately, has been cancelled. That is a pity because I was really looking forward to that one. But we wish them well for the rest of their tour. We do, we do. But there's plenty else going on in the uh, in the centre on Saturday, starting with the monthly craft fair. Yes, Northern Crafts are back in the main hall between 9.30 and 3.30, free entry to that. And then we have... Bizarre. Um, this is just bizarre. <laughs> well, 7th of October, Stuart, is UK Fungus Day. Of course it is. What wouldn't it be? <laughs> so you can come along to the Witham and you can join the Northeast Fungus Study Group for free activities between 10 and 4. You can learn about fermentation. You can go... Foraging in the local woods. You can you can... knock up a mushroom omelette? I don't think they're doing cook. That's probably the only demonstration they're not doing. Oh. But you can do sculptures out of fungi and you can you can make something that's mushroom related and you can identify... Tofu. You mean tofu? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can bring along the mushrooms you find in your garden and get them identified. Oh, marvellous. Yeah. So some of the activities have to be booked. That's um, on our website for more information, but all activities are free. Excellent stuff. So where can we find out more about these wonderful activities? By calling the box office on 01833 631107. Or online? uk. Excellent. I'll see you at Fungus Day. <laughs> you will, Stuart. Brilliant stuff. Thanks, Jane. <laughs> Bye, Stuart. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks very much for giving us a listen. We'll be back as usual next Friday with another uh, episode of the podcast. But from me, Stuart Lonely, I'll say cheerio for now. And we'll leave you with another track from uh, Salt House. Again, it's from their most recent album, Riverwoods. This is called Her Silver Plate.
for listening to In The Spotlight from The Witham, Barnard Castle's Community Arts Centre. Available on all major podcast platforms. So please give us a follow and leave a comment or listen online at www.thewitham.org.uk. We'll be back soon with another episode.